You've tuned in to another episode of The Wellness Couch, where science and ancient wisdom collaborate, 3ABR 87.6 FM, and we're your hosts, Katerina and Brett Morrison. We've got a great feature on tonight. Um, you can sense when you're in the great company, and those of you who know Tom Cooks knows that he's a human that sets a, the bar quite high. Tom is a journalist. In fact, he's been the recipient of two Wakley Awards. Um, which is the highest award in Australian um, journalism that's achievable. So many of you may know Tom, the um, SLSC at Apollo Bay volunteer, instructing the many ocean-based surf life-saving courses. And rightly so, Tom has advanced first aid training for uh, trauma, hostile environments and marine rescue. He's also a silver medallion qualified surf lifesaver, but it doesn't actually end there. Now, he's he has extensive post-production and online experience and over 20 years of reporting and filming in remote conflict and disaster zones, which include Pakistan, Afghanistan, Somalia, Kosovo, and the Palestinian territories, Lebanon, Jordan, Syria, and the PNG Highlands. Um, he's also filmed and reported and produced for Australia's most respected TV current affairs programs, such as um, ABC's Four Corners, 7.30, Late Line, uh, The Project, Channel 10, and SBS TV's Dateline. He's a former member of the Age Newspaper's Insight Investigative Unit also, and he's spent three years as a video producer and researcher for a global project to combat mosquito-borne viruses, helping to build an online multilingual resource for scientists and community engagement specialists, documenting fieldwork in Colombia, Brazil, Vietnam, Indonesia and Northern Australia. So filmed and directed a number of award-winning documentaries, such as you've probably heard uh, the very Thin Blue Line, which uh, follows the training of Iraq police recruits, which launched CNN's uh, global documentary strand, World Untold Stories. He's also filmed The Rules of the Game, a feature documentary on tribal politics in, in Papua New Guinea for SBS and PBS, and his film in their sites for ABC's Four Corners. So I'll hope that you actually enjoy this great interview uh, with Tom Cooks. Thank you very much for coming along and join us on The Wellness Couch. Yeah, no worries. Hey, look, I guess in the, in the lead up to the conversation, we've had a, a few discussions around uh, what to talk about as a topic and we've sort of landed on what makes a good person. Now, I'm just going through your bio, and I'm sure um, for those that are listening, I've already heard Kat talk about some of the places that you've been, but when you look at your holiday destinations, we're talking That's about now, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Somalia, Kosovo, uh, Palestine, Lebanon, Jordan, Syria, Papua New Guinea, uh, Cambodia, West Africa. So these aren't your normal sort of holiday destinations. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, so, they weren't. Uh, it weren't so much holiday. There was, was a bit of work involved. <laughs> yeah, I thought it might have been. Um, but I guess being in those war zones, and I guess that's what they really all are, aren't they? When we look at that, they are really are all war zones. Um, you would have yeah. seen the best There's, and the worst of people. And it's such an elliptic culture. Um, that yeah. he's been exposed to as well. So variant, so many variants. Yeah, it's absolutely true. You do see, uh, what's gratifying, I think, is that when you see people under pressure um, or in extreme circumstances, the vast majority of the time they rise to the occasion. Like it, it does tend to bring the best out in people. Um, and if, if you, and that's just, when I've been involved, like the places that you've listed have been, they've been there for a variety of reasons, but you're right, most of them has been because there's some type of conflict going on. Sometimes it's been a natural disaster. Um, I kind of got typecast as a journalist to, into going to, you know, where 
things were, it was either conflict or natural disaster or something, something bad happening. It was never kind of just for fun. Not always, but like mostly it was just, yeah. just a fairly extreme situation. Um, and in those cases, it is, it is actually kind of uh, reassuring to see the human spirit, you know, like people, people tend to do the right thing and they want to do the right thing and they, and they respond. Yeah. It, it kind of, it shears away all of the, um, you know, the artifice about people's personalities and things. It, it reduces them back to their kind of core values. And, the, and nine times out of 10, people are just trying to do the right thing by other people around them, which is really reassuring. And so as a result, you might think that you kind of get cynical when you go to things like this. It's kind of the reverse for me. I'm actually kind of, I really love people and I love meeting folks from all around the world in different circumstances. And because my faith in human nature has been reinforced uh, over and over again. Which is lovely. Um, sometimes you see people in really terrible circumstances, and you see things that are kind of a bit depressing and uh, and a bit uh, shake you up. But um, they certainly provide perspective on your own life. Yeah, and I think it also provides perspective, you know, especially coming or living in Australia. Um, definitely lets us know how lucky we are. I remember the first uh, trip I did with work. I went into the Philippines, and um, I came back very very changed um seeing mm. the level of poverty and what they they considered to be an extravagant life was you know we wouldn't even call it the fundamentals sort of in australia and yet like you said you still see people very happy and they're thriving in, in the mm. way that they live their life and in the way that they raise their family so it's obviously um very dependent on the area and but also has to show what we don't really need and how many, how many layers of some layers of stuff that we just put around ourselves in yeah. a very affluent country. So look, this yeah. guy obviously experienced in human behaviour with all these experiences. So I'd love to ask him, what actually makes um, an ordinary person or what qualities do they have to jump from an ordinary person and make them an extraordinary person from what you've actually been exposed to? <laughs> um, I'm not sure I have the answer. Um, but one one thing that's interesting is you tend to find extraordinary people when you're least looking for them. Um, and I think the definition of what's extraordinary too is like, you know, people sometimes they think that an incredible sports person or yeah. someone that's in the public eye or, you know, they think that's some extraordinary. I've met people that are just going about their business, but what they do is remarkable given the circumstances in which they're operating. I have this kind of, you know, even around Melbourne, you know, where we live in a fairly relatively comfortable lifestyle. One of the things that always bugs me is that people are lionised, you know, sports people and um, people that choose to have, you know, like someone who's playing the Australian Open or something like that. But every day, like we, we have some friends who are um, paramedics, uh, husband and wife. Yeah. And they, what they, I used to sit down with them, like my son used to play basketball with their son and we'd, I'd sit down and talk with John, the paramedic at basketball and, and they had you, had your wit go, John? And said, oh, you know, you just casually talk about it. Um, you know, someone tried to have a go up with a baseball bat and we had to go through this. And there's just extraordinary <laughs> things I have to deal with. Wow. Um, yeah. And he, it's just him, he does it every day and he keeps bouncing back and back and back and they're extraordinary resilient people and they just go about their business quietly. And I think they're just remarkable. Um, it takes an incredibly special person to do that over and over again. Um, so I, I think that there are extraordinary people in front of your eyes all the time that you just don't necessarily register. Yeah. Uh, and we, I, I find that a little bit annoying that, um, that you know, perhaps they don't get paid the attention that they should. Um, yeah, we tend so, to put, like you said, the footy stars 
up on a pedestal, don't all maybe not maybe mm-hmm. not just footy stars, maybe being a bit harsh there, but it's also all of our sports stars. We tend to create them, and they, and they use the term hero and all that sort of stuff for them. And yeah. they're, they're really playing sport, and you have got people who are putting their life on the line each day to help other people. Yeah, and there and there are people that have incredibly where well, the circumstances really loaded against them. They just don't have don't have a lot going for them, and they still just do incredible stuff. You know, and, and it, it might not make an enormous impact on all of, um, you know, they might not be in the papers, they might not be famous or anything like that, but the fact that they're just making the best of what they can and keeping all the people around them happy and fed and, and warm and like, it's just remarkable, you know, given what the hand they've been dealt. And so I, I think that there's, people do extraordinary things uh, all the time and sometimes you just don't see it. Um, and, yeah. and so, and, and that's, it's a real privilege that the, um, the, the, the joke that we have about being, the job as a journalist with you being allowed to go and look at different parts of the world and, and find out what um, people are on about is just a present you keep unwrapping. I, I, I love, I'm, I'm not doing it now so much and I miss it a lot because uh, it's just the ex- extraordinary privilege to see people doing remarkable things. All over so as a, as a remarkable journalist that you are being exposed to all of those situations and, and different cultures, you've got a wealth of stories to tell. Let's hear about some of them. <laughs> you can talk. Um, so um, a number of years ago, I went into Gaza, which is the like the sort of western part of the Palestinian territories, um, and we didn't realise that at the time that we're going in, we didn't realise that it was um, we're going in directly behind a, an Israeli assault, and and so it's it essentially a conflict going on. We, we, and while we were there, it, it, it was a uh, it was a it was a long, long conflict, long story behind it. But um, as we were going in, the one of the villages we went through had been shelled quite extensively. Um, and uh, we stopped to talk to the people there to see you know, how they were going. And um, one of the, there was a young family there and the, the oldest boy in the family was studying um, to be a doctor. And he, so he was, I think he was a fourth year medical student. And he was talking about how he was looking after his, um, his siblings and the, the villages around him as well as best as he could. Uh, and he's asked about my family. Um, and I, at that stage, my kids were quite a bit younger and I showed him a picture of our kids. Um, and I saw his younger siblings kind of look at that and disappear and they um, went off to the back of the, of the house. And in the meantime, we rummaged around and basically gave them all the medical supplies that we had and said, look, do what you can with these. And we were chatting to his father and they had a, like an orange grove outside the house. And a, a few minutes later, the kids came back um, with this enormous four-foot um, rabbit, like a oh. soft toy rabbit, uh, <laughs> and they and they'd given it to me to give to our kids to oh, take home. Wow. Wow. Of the kids, Goodness. and I was just completely overwhelmed and you know almost in tears. And so we're in the you know it's a, a quite a, it was an active war zone, and um, there's a lot of fighting going on and, and firing and things. And I had this like you know about three four-foot inflated like a soft toy rabbit under my arm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, Carried back, um, and uh, I sort of it was a little bit. You know, I had to a bit of explaining to do as we're going through the checkpoints and things like that. And yeah, what was the rabbit? Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, anyway, I brought it home and gave it to the kids, and I said, "You, you know, explain to the kids. You have no idea how valuable this is. Like, you have to look after this rabbit. Um, you know that this the, the people that gave it to you is like pretty much you know, one of the few toys they had. We couldn't refuse it. Like, I couldn't oh, say yeah. no. Um, uh, so it was just this." remarkable kind of, um, you know, it was, I had a lot to do with Palestinians in various parts of the world and they, 
almost always like hyper-educated overachievers um, and just remarkable people. And these people, they were, this family were just symptomatic of that. And so I tried to keep a track of Gaith, the, this, the guy who was studying medicine. And um, uh, you're probably aware that uh, the Palestinian territories have been carved up by a massive wall and, yeah. and it's very hard to move from place to place. And his university was on the other side of a wow. place he couldn't get to. So he was stuck. Yeah, we, we complained about our lockdown. You know, they've, they've had a lockdown for 30 years. Um, so um, he was, his studies had been disrupted, but eventually he, he completed and he's, he's working as a doctor in Germany now, which is fantastic. Oh, well yeah, that, he made it. Yeah. Like he, so this kid had a lot of adversity, you know, like he, you know, he's, while he was studying, his house was being shelled by, you know, <laughs> by tanks, you know, so and he, he, you know, you complain about the homework you've got, this guy was trying to do it while his house is blowing up. So, yeah. So he was a remarkable person. And, you know, I, for me, it, it's, he was kind of the benchmark of, just quietly going about your business. Yeah. And I think there's some, you know, when we start talking about what makes a good person, there's some vague ideas, isn't it? And people throw these euthanisms out or motherhood statements out about going, yeah. oh, the, the, someone has got a good heart or they're honest or they have integrity. Yeah. Or they got good, yeah, ethics, sure. they got good ethics yeah. or got good morals. Mm. But really when you, you start to drill down onto that, underneath those layers, you know, when you start talking about resilience. Um, and I li- recently read a book uh, called The Attributes, which then talks steps a little bit further from resilience to what they call anti-fragility. So that ability to come back, not just to the point of zero, which resilience is like being knocked back and coming back, but going that step further. So he got a, a young, young man who's studying medicine. As you said, his house is being shelled. Mm. And he still completes his studies, despite the fact he can't get to university. Yeah. Helping his family out and just doing miraculous and like remarkable things. In the first of it, yeah. it's amazing. And he, he had um, a remarkable kind of compassion for, you know, he, he could have been entirely, it would have been entirely fair. And I've seen people there in the, in the same village from him as well, um, who were radicalised by that experience and became quite angry and um, yeah. wanted to do something quite extreme about it. He had a different reaction to that. He just, he just kind of wanted, like, I had enough of this. It's not the way it should be. I just want to, I just want to try and make things right. And so he had the, like, an extraordinary reaction to, you know, pretty difficult circumstances. And I just... So he, he was, I remember marking this guy as just what an extraordinary bloke. Um, you know, no one's ever heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's quite an amazing story, isn't it? And it's yeah. also, I guess I'll pick up on that point. Uh, I guess there's a bit of a thread between what he's doing, what he, he, he did and was doing and continues to do, but also your paramedic friends is about service. And yeah. quite often when I see people that I think, well, you know, there's a good person quite often there's an element of service to who they are. And like, I know even when I, when I look at you, I've met you and see you, like you've always down the surf club helping other people. You've always got a smile on your face, always, you're always out doing something. And it's, it's not about yourself. So it's many, altruistic. Behavior. Yeah, it's, it's part of that. Yeah. Uh, it, their life is, is bigger than what they are. Like yeah. they're not the center of, yeah. that, of their life. Well, they add value to the community and yeah. to the world, obviously. Yeah. Just yeah. by being in it. Yeah, look, I, I think you've put you, I think you nailed it actually. It's that thing about, um, I think if, if you can see that um, it's not about you, um, and, and I'll, I'll be perfectly honest about that too, like up until the age, I, I think a really big eye opener for me, and like if you talk to the rest of my family, they'll, they'll tell you, it's for sure. Um, before I had children, I was much more self centered, much more focused, and, and mm. having children was a massive revelation for me yeah. that it wasn't about me. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think, um, it's interesting watching my son grow up. You know, my oldest son is 22. 
um, you know, every parent thinks that their kids are kind of like them and all that sort of stuff, you know, but so, you know, pipe that. Um, but it's really fascinating seeing Sam. Um, he's quite, uh, he's a really wonderful, wonderful bloke, um, really bright, really compassionate and stuff, but he's quite self-centred and, and I think that's quite natural. Well, it's, it's not always the case, but it's, 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 it takes a while for you to understand that it's not about you. And one of those big sort of things in your life, I think that really changes that is, is having kids. Um, and because it's, it's this kind of basic kind of visceral thing that you, you're looking at, that you do anything for your kids. Like you would, and yeah. it, it kind of flips your priorities entirely. I know it really did change my outlook on life a lot. Um, and it made me less ambitious, I think, yeah. personally. Um, and it certainly made me much more conscious of the people around me, for sure. But I think you have to kind of, I, I know that, you know, I've got friends that don't have kids and uh, you have to be kind of, uh, careful to temper that because there, there are a lot of people that are still yeah. incredibly public spirited who don't have kids. You know, but I know for me, certainly that was a trigger. That was a kind of eye opener for me um, that it wasn't about me. And I know as we progress through life, you know, we do go through different phases. I mean, like as, as a young child, as a, as a, even as a baby, you know, we are quite dependent on other people and we get mm. to that sort of teenager years, you know, probably between 14 to you know 25 ish where we are looking for our independence and we, strive to be independent and we strive to prove our independent independence but like you said then it comes that stage where something happens you have an experience or you have children and you start to go hang on i now need to be interdependent so i need to be a functioning independent person within a bigger group of people and yeah helping people i think i mean there's a lot of um uh a lot of sort of religious creeds and, and philosophy and things like that will talk about how, you know, that the path to happiness is letting go of your own personal ambitions. You know, I think it's kind of a central part of Buddhism and, and things as well. And, you know, there's parts of the, uh, so certainly the Catholic church where they, they're huge on public service and things like that. Um, and so I think that's kind of, you know, I, you know, when you're young, you go, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. But then you, I, I, th I certainly, I kind of buy that and subscribe to that now that, you know, the um, I get a hell of a lot of pleasure out of, making other things things work for other people you know that, that that's yeah. it's a lot of um and but prior to that it was um and, and you know prior to that it was like about me establishing myself and so on and i i think also you have to balance that with i've got to a point in my life too where i've done a number of things i've had a crack at some stuff and it's kind of worked and i don't feel like i have to prove anything so much Fantastic. Um, yeah. so you kind of feel comfortable in your own skin yeah. and mm. when you're at that stage you know, you, you don't, you're not kind of like constantly trying to define yourself or work out what you're on about. And if you've got that kind of piece about what you're at, then it makes you, it, it's much easier to kind of, right, it's, it's totally not about me. It's like, what, how can we just make things better? Yeah. And so that was one of the things I found remarkable about this young bloke I was talking before about the doctor. In, it was in, um, in Gaza, is that he was, I think he must have been about 20, in his early 20s. And yet he was kind of where I am at now 30 years later. He'd already made that massive leap you know, in extraordinary circumstances. It just wasn't about him. Um, and I, I just found that remarkable. I, um, I met this young bloke, um, another kind of um, sort of case study, I suppose. Um, uh, when I was in Afghanistan, um, I met a um, platoon commander. He was a lieutenant um, and he had 30 guys um, under his command. Um, you know, basically, you know, the he was responsible for these 30 lives of these guys. They're outside the wire now in Tangy Valley in, in um, Uruzgan province. And, um, you know, they were you know, fairly right at the pointy end. Uh, and this guy was the same age. I think he was about 22 or 23. 
Um, And he was in command of these guys and he had the most extraordinary charisma. Um, And he was, he was like, you know, he was, you know, less than half my age when I was there and he, um, you know, he was looking, he was keeping me alive and fed and, you know, and made sure I didn't do anything stupid. And, and he was, at the same time, he was, you know, planning missions. And it's just from, I thought back to when I was that age and I could barely, you know, manage my own affairs. Um, and so, <laughs> um, you know, it, it was same same kind of thing. He, he just made a massive leap at quite an early age. Um, is there, is there uh, anything you can define that, that brings out that charisma? Can you put a finger? Can you touch, you know, just all of these you think? Yeah, like it was, I, I think, you know, when you, it was an incredibly blokey environment, you know, so you're in, oh, yeah. you're in combat with a bunch of 30 soldiers. And so, you know, all of them, I think the majority of them were older than him. And so he had to uh, um, exude like an air of command to keep them, you know, just to keep them on, this, on the right track. So, um, and he did that easily. So I, I think he constantly, he would have felt um, on display the whole time, I'm sure. You know, because he had to be he had to be sort of reflecting that command position. Wow. Um, he was exceptionally well trained, um, but um, I just had this. Um, you know, there are people that couldn't. I, I just I remember thinking I have never met any. I, I'm, I'm you know <laughs> my 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 personal circumstances are so different to his, and you know the circles I'm moving are just like nothing like this young bloke. Yeah. Um, it was extraordinary. You know, to have done that at that age is just amazing. I'd never met anyone like that. Is it hard to define um, charisma or is it something that they just exude or something maybe they're born with? Um, it is a little bit hard to define. Like he's the kind of guy, I guess, you know, trying to break it down, he, you had no, he wouldn't say anything unless he was absolutely sure that it was true. So you knew that he, he wouldn't kind of speculate about stuff and he wouldn't like have, you know, oh, it could yeah. be this, could be that. He would just integrity, yeah. Very considered, you know, very quiet um and if he didn't know he'd say i don't know i'll try and find out um if he thought there was a um another source of information he'd defer to them um and you know he would he would work within the from the basis of the things that he understood and you know proceeded from that um we've actually got a young bloke like that at the surf club he's a very very similar character i don't know if you know calvin lines but calvin is like that well calvin is remarkable young man he he is um i've known him since he was you know like in his early teens, um, and I looked to him for advice. Um, on we we had a rescue, as you probably wear like a few weeks ago at the club, yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah, he's the guy that kind of um, made me slow down and think about my course of action before I just kind of jumped up, jumped in the boat and took off. So that was extraordinarily level-headed young bloke. Yeah. Um, so I think the charisma comes from that. You, you understand that when they say something, it's a deeply considered thought, and so you take notice of it and you. Um, you know, they, they just, uh, you know, demand your um, respect, essentially. Yeah, I guess one of the things that I've, you know, prepared in my notes and one of the things that I've looked at um, over the years, especially in, in the coaching space about what makes a good person is their ability to get good at what they do. So that, that getting good at their skills. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. and like you said, like you've got a young lieutenant and he's in charge of a whole heap of guys who I can guarantee had more experience than he did. Um, but they're also checking him out to make sure he's not going to kill him. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and part right. of that comes down to him, like you said, sticking to what he knows, not over thinking what he can do or over inflating all his capacity, but getting good at his skill set, but also going out of his way to make sure he's good at his skill set. And like mm-hmm. you said, you, you felt comfortable, you felt confident that he was going to keep you alive, keep you looked after, keep you fed, and make sure you came back with inside the wire alive. And 
And I think that goes for either men or women that when they're good at what they do, they start to, I guess they start to build that charisma because they get comfortable in yeah. themselves. They know that they, they can do what they say they're going to do. And yeah. um, so there's that level of getting better at what they do. Cause they, most of those people, and I'm sure you will have seen that young guy. He never rested on his laurels. Like I look at, you know, young Kelvin down the surf club. And he always looks like he's learning something. Oh yeah. He, yeah, he then, is exactly. He, I know for a fact that he is like, he's just in a course on, on Pinterest administration. Like, and so he needs to learn to be a guard. You know, he's done his goals and stuff for sure. But you know, I think you're absolutely right. I think that you know, people like that, um, they when you understand that they're capable of doing the things that they um, that you just you're happy to follow them because you know they've, they've put the time and you know they're not going to lead you down a path that you um, that um, is going to get you into trouble. You know, it's just they just kind of exude that. Um, you, you can kind of smell it. You know, when when someone's confident at what they do. Yeah. Um, as a as a person involved with them or, you know, following them if you're a leader or you just kind of know straight away. Like, and, and so it becomes this sort of reinforcing thing. Yeah. And how, how uh, have you found, sorry, go on. Oh, uh, yeah, I was going to say, like, it's actually one of the things I, I found when I was, especially working in um, Afghanistan with a lot of different coalition forces and there are a lot of different nationalities and a lot of different types of defence forces and things, you became very, uh, one of the key things you had to work out very quickly is you had to evaluate um, commanders um, or like field commanders or like groups of troops very quickly to work out, do you know, I want to spend some time with these guys, you know, am I going to come back in one piece? Um, and so it was um, interesting to try to work that sort of stuff out. Like you became a very good snap judge of, of people's, you know, um, performance under pressure. Yeah. And it's probably um, a good spot to point out that even though you're in a lot of these, like you were in many, many war zones, you weren't carrying a weapon. So you're literally their camera and microphone and recorder mm. really. And that, that's how you moved around. So uh, you really did need to rely on these people. And we start talking about courage going into places that has to be complete courage when you're going in unarmed. Um, I think you told me a couple of weeks ago, like you used to have like a little plastic car that say like a non-combatant. <laughs> like, like the enemy's going to wait and, and wait for you to flash a little car saying, don't shoot me. <laughs> That's right. I'm not involved. I'm not involved. Um, yeah, I'm just a bystander. Grab it. I'm not the enemy. <laughs> it's interesting to sit back and listen to you too, because I mean, um, and, and what you're defining, because it sounds to me like you're navigating towards leadership too, you know, the expertise and excellence and people being focused and um, quite experienced in their field as well. Um, you're sort of navigating towards leadership qualities as well. Yeah, well, I've spent a lot of time, and I guess the study I did at uni was around leadership. And look, in recent years, I've heard a lot of people say, look, you can't call yourself a leader. Someone really needs to call you a leader. And to a large degree, I agree with that. Um, on the other side, though, when we start talking about what makes a good person, what makes a good woman, what makes a good man, I think that we need to be leaders of ourselves. And yeah, yeah. You know, you, you need to be, you need to create yourself to be someone that you, you are happy to follow and, yeah. you know, and then become the person that becomes, a, I think in many ways, a role model. So when I see you, Tom, down the club, like you are a yeah, role model, like definitely. all those, like we talked earlier before we were, oh, definitely, I'd feel so before we started recording is that, you know, I was on the bronze course with a group of 15 year old, 16 year old kids, but they all looked up to you as a, as a role model. And I, I know I look up to you as a role model in the surf club going, wow, this is a guy that I know would keep me safe. 
Well, well it's true. Um, like in, in around the water and in around the club, the way you present and the way you hold yourself and the way you... Um, there's an just, assurance just about it. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. you know that you've got the best interests of other people in, at heart. Yeah, there's a mastery of self as well. Yeah. That they, they exude yeah. themselves, yeah. It's an interesting question, I think, because I think you can separate the two. I think there are, and, and I'm, I'm actually, as you were talking, I was thinking about some examples of people I know, and there are people that have, are definitely the master of themselves and have, and they're squared away and they're sorted out and they know you're happy in their own skin, but they don't want to be a leader and they're not interested in leading other people. Yeah. And there are folks that are, um, but I, I think you're right in that um, a great leader uh, or someone that you are inclined to lead certainly has those characteristics. Like I'm, I'm actually, my, my father, I sort of mentioned him briefly before, he, he was a really interesting human being um, and he had a lot of great qualities. He wasn't the easiest person to be around and I don't think he was necessarily a great leader, but he was a great person. Like he was really, and he, um, he didn't have a lot of self-knowledge, like he, but he had, a, he had a really strong moral compass and he, was, yeah. he knew that in any circumstance he would do the right thing. You know, he, he, he right. knew that he'd have... Um, he had a, it's, it's a long, complicated story. He had a quite a complicated upbringing, um, but um, he wasn't someone that I'd necessarily. There's no way that um, I'd get him to like, you know, lead something like the bronze course or something like that. Or yeah, um, and he was quite. Um, but he he was um, he was a good person for sure. Like he's really, you know, absolutely had a lot of those qualities. But I, and I've a friend of mine who is um, a really keen climber. Um, he is like absolutely confident, squared away quiet you know great he un understands his abilities operates within those and stuff but he has no interest in leading other people has no interest in assuming responsibility for other people's lives or um you know it's kind of up to you to work out you know if you want to go with him and do this and you're prepared to take that risk that's absolutely fine but he doesn't he doesn't really have he doesn't extend that i mean i should temper that if you're climbing with him or if you're going away he'll, he'll look after you and make sure you're you yeah. know you're um but he won't seek that out um so i think he's got a um, he's, he certainly has a lot of those qualities, but he's not, I guess he's kind of not interested in leading. Um, mm. so. Obviously the definition though of leadership has changed in the last decade yeah. or so. I mean, they're looking at people mm. who facilitate and bring out the best in, in an individual now, rather than that, you know, the yang yeah. and all the, the A male that, you know, needs to lead. Yeah, I think it comes down to different environments too. like. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, we have. There's so many different models of leadership. We have situational leadership, which you know talks about, you know, you need to be the type of leader that you need to be in a certain circumstance. You got the hero leadership, and I guess you know Jack Walsh. I think is a really yeah. classic example. Um, when he led GE, like he was like up on a pedestal, and you know the, they thought GE would collapse when when he left because he he literally had that much of a personality. Um, yeah. and then you got, you know, servant leadership is a different model again. And so there are different versions and I guess sure. models of leadership. In but, different environments. But sure. when it comes down to leading yourself, most of that is, like you said, Tom, before it's about that compass that we have inside and what it means to be us and what, <laughs> what's important to us and how we want to present to the world. And not just present, yeah. well, how we want to be in the world. And I guess part of that, yeah. I, I quite often talk about the legacy that we want to leave. Um, yeah. you know, Stephen Covey yeah. sort of talks about, you know, first things first and those principles that you want to live by. Um, so there's, yeah. I guess, a different aspect again to leadership. But when I talk about leadership itself, it's who do we want to be and who do we want other people to remember us? Or how do we want other people to remember us? But also what is our, I guess, what is our way that we add value to the community? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, 
I guess everyone has that. There are kind of lots of different ways. Like the, the relative weights of all those things are different. Like I, I'm actually thinking yeah. of someone down at Polar Bay that we probably both know who I think is a really, I really like him. He's a really interesting person and he's super squared away and he's really confident in his own abilities. A really interesting person too. But I don't think he's, he's not that interested in, um, well, well, no, look, he, he has some, he has a lot of responsibilities for other people and things as well. But I think he, he sees, um, that the community service part of it is kind of less important to him. He just wants to be a good person himself. And yeah. I think that's kind of, it's kind of like that, you know, <laughs> religious retreat kind of model. You know, where you just want to, I actually had this conversation with my son just the other day when we were talking about public service and community service and the importance of it and stuff. And he said, well, what about, you know, what about like monks that are, you know, contemplating the infinite and things like, yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, you know, for sure. Um, but like, there's, so there's different ideas about what constitutes, you know, bettering the public good. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I think, you know, you talked earlier about the moral compass and Kat talked about ethics and morals. Now, you've been in a lot of different countries and, you know, you, you would have seen the best and the worst of people. So, mm-hmm. obviously, ethics and morals and values can be very cultural and yeah. um, family dependent. Is there any examples or any, I guess, experiences that you've had that which you could share with us around how that you've seen different sides of that, but maybe some of the common threads that come through? Mm. Um, regardless of, I mean, in, you mean in the way that, um, sort of ethics are different between different cultures, like, yeah, what, what's important is, um, values are different or I'm not quite, I'm not quite sure what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So look, I guess that's, you know, quite often you hear people say like, I've made just do the right thing, but what, what's the right. But, what's, yeah. Right. What's yeah, right yeah, yeah. I guess as they're saying, yeah, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? And, and like what's, what's acceptable. I guess when you talk about ethics and morals, ethics is, I guess, yeah. more the, the individual decisions, like the decisions that we make yeah. as individuals, like could be work ethic or you know, something yeah. like that, whereas morals are a bit Moral more purpose, around, yeah. a bit more of a yeah, communal I, I understanding. Yeah, but it really, actually really fascinating example is that um, I spent a while uh, in the early 2000s, I, I covered two elections in Papua New Guinea in the Highlands, um, in the Highlands, actually in the Island section, but a lot in the Highlands as well. Um, and uh, my, my starting kind of idea behind that was that, um, you know, the, um, in Australia, you know, the, you look at the New South Wales right and, and, and the ALP and things, and they reckon they know how politics works. Like, that's nothing. You should see that. It's <laughs> extraordinary. Like, they know that the, I made this documentary called The Rules of the Game. It's basically about how um, PNG politicians are absolutely brilliant at um, being able to rort any particular rules that are placed over a, oh. a political system in their favour. Um, and so you can have a uh, totally really and it's really fascinating the way that so they have this kind of like tier of, of loyalties you know you, you have loyalties first to your immediate family group then your tribe and then your language group you know which is the uh, your one talks they're called you know people talk the same language as you um and and so it, it extends up and then somewhere way beyond that there's some this vague sense of nationhood you know <laughs> and like, the loyalty of the country is like a long way down the track um so they have a very different sense of what's important and what's not. And so you, and then, then someone just drops this political system over the top of it, like a Westminster political system where you have parties and, you know, nations and things, and that just doesn't make any sense at all. And so you, you have to kind of map that over the top of what the actual, what people's loyalties are and what their values are and who they're responsible to. Wow. Um, and so it, it totally kind of warps the whole political system, you know, it breaks it in all sorts of ways. And so it's fascinating to see that sort of in practice. And um, they had this thing in, um, so in Australian elections, like most sort of 
parliamentary Western democracies, you have this one person, one vote, and it's a, 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 it's a sort of secret ballot. So you go into a ballot box and you write your vote and it's just for you. Mm -hmm. uh, in the Highlands, they have this thing called a block vote where um, the head of the village will decide who the candidate is that they support wow. by village and they'll fill all the votes out um, in one go and say, right, here's all our votes. And so, and then occasionally there'll be some dispute, you know, one person say, actually, I want to vote for this other guy. So, well, you can't, because we all decided this is. Wow. And so, <laughs> and we, we filmed it. Um, and so it's, it's obviously highly illegal. Like it's under the, the PNG system, it's supposed to be a private ballot. Everyone's supposed to vote themselves. But we actually filmed a block vote where there was a guy sitting there with like all the ballot papers, just filling them out methodically for the entire village. Um, and then there was a kind of, there was a few scuffles where someone wanted to have their vote and someone swung a few punches and, um, and then we, we, so we filmed this and, and showed it. And then we spoke to a guy who helped to, he's a lawyer in PNG and he helped to write the constitution and the, the rules around how votes work uh, and what's illegal and what's not. And, he, and, he's, and he's from the Highlands. Like he's, um, and he said, look, look, it's valid. You know, like they should, we, we should be able to bend the, you know, there are certain circumstances in which a block vote kind of works. You know, it's to the way that we've done stuff for the last thousand years and it's the way our mm -hmm. society works. And so you kind of need to alter your perception of the way mm -hmm. things, the way things should work. You know, it's not that simple here. And so your idea of what people's loyalties are and what their ethics are is kind of slightly, you know, as, as a uh, political reporter watching this, you're just horrified. You think, like, that's ridiculous. This guy's filling everyone else's vote out. But when you have someone explain it to you um, who lives there, said, like, it's actually perfectly rational. That's the way they've done things for a long time. So there was a complete clash of, of, um, sort of ethics and um so that was a really definitely yeah it's it kind of fascinating thoughts, though isn't it i mean if if money becomes involved well that's right that's yeah. a kind of slightly different thing yeah and and so you know in png the, the 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 political game is all about um you elect a guy to parliament they're usually guys um who is and his gig is to bring as much stuff as he can back to your community that's basically yeah. how what how politics is perceived um it's not about um having a party that has a political platform, you know, for certain types of policies, which will benefit the whole nation. It's basically every community out for themselves. Yeah. Uh, and that's, it's just the way, and because it's such a fragmented society, it's grown yeah. up, you know, they have something like 30% of the world's languages are in PNG. Um, and so, um, you know, it's incredibly fragmented, um, tiny um, groups of people that are, are gradually being connected together into a country. Um, and so the, their allegiances reflect that. Um, mm. and so it's kind of crazy trying to impose a modern political system over the top of that. And so you come unstuck when you try to work out what, where people's loyalties lie. Yeah. I can remember when I was going through my original training and, um, we had some PNG guys down, down there as well. And didn't matter what rank they were in uniform. Mm. If one of those guys was the chief's son, he, he's the one that called the shots. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so they have these um, loyalties that cut across all the things that you wouldn't expect. Like if you, you're living in Moresby and someone appears at your house who's from your same language group, you owe them a responsibility to sort them out. You know, you, you need yeah. to find them a job, you know, and you need to feed them and stuff. That's just kind of the way it works. And so if that means you have to kind of bend the rules a little bit where you work, then that's the way it is, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, the, in, in other definitions, you know, in other places that could be seen as nepotism, but that's just the way society works in, in PNG. Yeah, it's all about looking out, looking out for each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that was a kind of, um, you know, the 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 and the you know the the rules about what's being a good person and what's 
doing right and wrong and you know your kind of moral compass is obviously very very different in those circumstances yeah it would be so yeah and and so being perceived in your community as being a good person is very different in some respects from the way that you would see it um here as a as a you know a local member or something yeah how much of a role do you think compassion plays though in, in being a good person so i know you've been to a lot of very interesting places and obviously in even in guinea if you're filming around um, politics that can be quite quite rough at yeah. times as well um, but where does compassion come to play in all of this um, I guess if, if you mean by compassion if you mean kind of empathy and being able to understand mm -hmm. someone else's position mm -hmm. and, and uh, it's an enormous thing I think like being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes um, and being able to understand what's important for them and um, you know that, that's it's an, another it's an extension of that thing about like it's not about you you need to yeah. try and get your head around what someone else is. Um, a, a lesson that took me a long time to learn, and I have to keep reminding myself of it all the time, is that the vast majority of people will do and say things because they think they're right, not because they think that you're wrong. You know, not that because they think they're just being you know difficult or you know they they genuinely believe what they're talking about. And so you have to kind of remember that. Like you, when you see someone that's doing something really bizarre, like a good example, you know, is you know, someone in America, you know, there are things that happened under Trump that you just can't get your head around. You have to kind of remember that these folks aren't doing it because they're trying to wind you up. They're doing it because they think they're right. And so yeah. you have to try and engage with that and remember it. And um, I guess that's kind of part of compassion is that you, you've got to try and put yourself in their shoes and try and see how they're seeing the world. I mean, there are, clearly there are some things that are absolutely right and absolutely wrong. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's, there's some, you know, red lines about things, but... You, oh, most definitely. Yeah, now, yeah. Now, bravery would be something that comes into your effect as well, all the different places you've been to. So we've all heard that phrase, that there's no risk, no reward, but how many of us really take the risk necessary to get the reward that we actually want? Um, I'm not sure what you mean. What you mean? you know, being actual brave, like, you know, some people just follow the narrative or whatever they've been told and just stepping outside that box. Yeah, I guess sometimes. Is it like a form of, are you talking more like, particularly like courage? Because, yeah, particularly because you talked about culture previously and the tiers, the different tiers, like, you know, you've got your tribal and you've, you've got yeah. your other layers as well. And if someone steps away from that, you know, because they're quite brave. Oh, they're quite yeah, yeah. So I, I think, um, yeah, for sure. I think that, um, one of the, I guess if you're breaking down the things that are important for uh, you know, being a good person or um, you know, leadership and so on is that, I guess I'd, I'd call that kind of courage having the conviction to do what you think is the right thing to do. Sometimes it's, like, I, you know, I was talking about my father before. I knew that he would always do um, the right thing no matter how hard, it, whatever position that yeah. put him in, no matter, you know, whatever discomfort that caused him or um you know whether it was going to throw him out or not he would always do the right thing um and so i think that's that's kind of that's brave i think and i i think if you really think that something is the case you know it's it's the way things should be and you're prepared to do it even though it's going to cause you some difficulty then i think that's really gutsy and really brave and that, that's kind of the um like in that kind of people often to i often get that question like when, when i've been yeah. in conflict and things about that that, that really obvious kind of bravery like wasn't that really scary and things like and it's that's never the case like i'm always just kind of really busy and you don't really think about it that much and you you do have those circumstances where occasionally you think oh i probably should have done that um but i've got a really high risk threshold 
Um, so, there you go. There you go. You do know uh, what you've got now. <laughs> yeah. I watched one of, one of the videos. Um, I think it's the Four Corners program, and you start off and look like you're in a armored personnel carrier, and there's a young American guy up on the on the gun. Oh yeah. And there's bullets, yeah. and then. Not you, yeah. you said oh before, before we started, you said that you didn't like having your face on the camera because you're normally behind the camera. But I heard your <laughs> voice go, you might want to put your head down, mate. Right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that sounds um, like mom. And this guy goes, oh, that should be right. Or whatever it was. You say that. Sometimes you just want to put your head down there. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. There's actually a really funny story about that. Um, that um, yeah, so we were in an armored vehicle, um, and this guy nearly, literally, nearly got shot between the eyes. You know, yeah. he was a very accurate sniper. Fire. And I, I was sitting underneath him um, with a camera pointed up at the turret. And if he had been hit, he would have like fallen straight on top of me. Like, you know, I was kind of like waiting to catch him. Um, and he didn't get hit. Um, it just kind of ricocheted around inside the turret and shot out again. Um, and the guy, I, you can, if you've seen that clip, you probably saw the guys that were with me were laughing. Um, and it was an extraordinary reaction because they were kind of like, whoa, they literally dodged a bullet, you know? Like, yeah, they, um, yeah. And so they had this extraordinary release you know, where they were kind of um, thinking, wow, yeah. And it is, it is the most euphoric, remarkable feeling when someone, it's happened to me a number of times where someone <sighs> has tried to kill me and they haven't succeeded. Uh, and you literally feel like you cannot die. And it is the most, it's very, very dangerous feeling because you feel like Superman, you feel indestructible. Um, There's an element of bravery you. then. That, yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, definitely. Um, I suppose so, but I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> um, I, it's not, like I know it's, it sounds ridiculous when you say it, but I honestly don't. I don't think of it like that. Um, I mean, there's things I'm frightened of for sure. Um, I'm quite frightened. Perversely, I'm quite frightened of heights. You know, I was, I was a really keen climber, um, and um, if I'm not kind of, um, you know, if I don't have enough protection, I'm not roped in things. I can't really tell you about that. Um, Understandable. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I was quite frightened of motorbikes because <laughs> I, I fell off a motorbike when I was about 17 with my brother. Um, so I'm still kind of nervous about motorbikes. Um, so I, I kind of, even though it might seem I'm a bit, I'm a bit kind of, you know, risky, I, I, I think of myself as a kind of reasonably cautious person. You know, I don't, I don't yeah. certainly don't have death. Um, and so, um, you know, I think carefully about circumstance. I mean, but um, I, I think... Um, Bravery, for, for me, those, those type of circumstances, I guess I'm in a position to be able to evaluate the risk and I'm kind of happy about it and that's, yeah. that's all right. Um, I, that's, so it, it might appear to someone else to be brave, but it's actually not that brave because you kind of, you're in a position to work out what you think might happen. What I think is true bravery is when you jump into something that you are genuinely frightened about and you just give up and you have a crack at anyway. Um, so it's about your own perception. It's, it's, it's not about... Yeah. the event itself it's about the impact it has on you if yeah. that makes sense yeah like i've seen guys like when we had nippers down the beach and and um you know we have this kind of annual uh sort of rite of passage where they jump off the pier you know when, yeah. and, and when they're in the under 13s and there are kids that are terrified of that uh, and they just do it anyway and I, I think that is like a hundred percent more brave than someone going into battle or something so i think it's it's the relative sort of impact on you if that makes sense yeah yeah, it's yeah. Subjective. how do you think that I guess those experiences, like where you say people have actually tried to kill you and you've gotten out of it, has that shaped your life? This probably doesn't make a lot of sense, but I guess there's some people that you meet that they don't really live their life because they're they're afraid of dying, as yeah. opposed to just living their life to the fullest. So, how do you think yeah. some of those experiences have shaped the way that you now live your life? Yeah, um, that's a good question, and I know I, I kind of wrestle too with 
Um, and I think a lot of people who have been to kind of extreme circumstances or even places where um, folks are at a much greater disadvantage than they are, is that you come, I know I used to, I spent about 20, 25 years traveling to all these kind of places and coming home and my family hadn't been doing that. And so I brought a lot of baggage back. And so you have to be kind of careful that you, I was quite judgmental of folks that were complaining about small things. And so you would, um, I'd get really impatient with someone complaining about, you know, the problem they had with the mechanic on their car or something like that. And it's like, like it is really not important. You know, it's really, it's not a big deal. You know, you want to you hear problems, I'll tell you about problems. Um, and so I think you have to kind of park that stuff because it's not really fair because, you know, it's the folks you're talking to haven't had the same experiences that you have and you can't, you know, you can't impose that on them. So you have to be careful about, um, you know, being a little bit sort of self-righteous about that, I think. Mm. And so it's quite conscious of that. But by the same token, I, I think I made a really conscious effort with our family, you know, with our kids to make sure they understood that they're in the 1% of the 1%, you know, like they are incredibly privileged um, and they should never forget that. You know, yeah. they have very... Um, and so we made a point of trying to take them to places where they got to see people who were not like them. Yeah. We live in a really white red part of Melbourne. You know, it's kind of really homogenous yeah. and kind of affluent and, um, and everyone's kind of okay. And so we, we try to make a point with them that they got to see um, a bit more of life. You think though, from your experience, that when you meet someone that is a good person or even a great leader or good leader, whatever term we want to use, that they do see problems differently. So they, they live a, yeah. a higher level of life. So, you know, th those little niggly things that, you know, especially when you come back from a, a, like a conflict zone or, or a country that doesn't have a lot and you come back and someone is say complaining yeah. about, you know, the traffic jam or, you know, the fact that their latte took them, you know, too long to get at the yeah. counter, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, but when you see people who are really, like really just solid, good people, that sort of stuff, yeah. they don't focus on stuff. They're, they're focusing on bigger problems. Yeah, I suppose it's an interesting question. Yeah, it's a really interesting idea. I, I think, um, I guess the way I look at it is that um, there's always problems you're trying to solve. It just depends on what scale they are. So like if, you, if you're not, yeah. You, yeah. Um, so if, if you're like, you know, Steve Jobs running Apple, you probably don't have, you're not worried about where your next dollar is coming from, but you are worried about, you know, your global legacy on you know, consumer culture. So it's just, everyone's got problems. They're just kind of a slightly different, on a different level. Um, and so, um you know, I don't, I don't think that stuff goes away. It's like that, you know, that old joke about, you know, you, you suddenly become a billionaire, you just got a billion new set of problems, you know, it doesn't fix everything. Mm. Um, like all, all the small things perhaps have gone away or what, what we think of as, you know, the details of life, but you've got a whole lot of other issues that you have to manage as well. So I think just existing as a human, as a responsible human being that cares about the rest of everybody else, um, there's always going to be things that you have to solve. It's yeah. just on, on what level we're at. Well, how do you think you've expanded as a person? Obviously, we, we see you as a great person that a lot of people <laughs> model from. Yeah, that was good, really. Um, you're very humble too about, about all your qualifications and your resume. But um, how have you expanded your, your personality and your characteristics from what you've actually endured overseas as a journalist? Um, that's a really good question. I don't know if I, I'm not sure if I'm the right person to answer that. I, I think you'd have to talk to other people about that that have known me for a long time because I'm not sure that I'm able to really... I'm not sure if I have that level of introspection. I know for sure, it's a little bit like we were talking about before. I'm, I'm sure that I've become less self-centered, which I think is a really good thing. And it took me a long time to learn that. It's not something you can teach anyone as well. Like, you know, as a parent, it's really frustrating where you try and, you know, there, there are certain things that you try and uh, instill in your, you know, your gig with the kids is to try and like put them on 
you know, best park you can and give them the best example you can, but there are things they just have to learn for themselves. And it's very hard to accept that, that you, um, they just have to kind of crash and burn and, you know, they'll find their own way. Yeah. So, um, I think, um, for sure, I, I would like to think that I've become much more interested in other people, um, and much more interested in other people's success than my own. Um, uh, and, that's um, like certainly the case of my family. I, you know, I had a really, my wife has been phenomenally understanding that, that when I, the reason I stopped working as a journalist overseas was it just became untenable. Um, you know, Karen travels for work as well. And, um, it's just too hard. It's just, you know, it's just too much going on. So that, that had to stop. Um, and that I you know, made a decision about that. I kind of want to be a good husband and a good father. Um, you know, that's much more important to me than being the world's best journalist. Um, so, um, um, that was a lesson I had to learn for sure. Um, I think I've, um, I've completely lost my train of thought. Um, how have I become a better person by, um, it's an enormous privilege to see people in lots of different circumstances as well, like in, Mm. in, um, and see how they behave in, in different situations. And, um, I'm enormously grateful for that. Um, and I've, I've scored, you know, friends in all sorts of crazy places that are, all have a very different perspective on life, and they all have, um, all all have lessons for you. It's 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 I've almost it's absolutely fascinating when you meet someone who is genuinely boring because they are incredibly rare. Almost everybody has got a story. Almost everyone you meet yeah. has got something intrinsically interesting about them, and they got to if you just got time and you've got the ability yeah. to listen, every, yeah. almost everyone has got something to tell you. And it, occasionally you come across someone who's just like a zero and that's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> it's genuinely like, I can't believe this person's got nothing to offer. Um, but that's really, really, really unusual. Like, you know, 99.99% of people are kind of really, if you've got, if you, if you had the ears to listen, they've got something to tell you. Um, and that's, um, I think that's something that, um, I think, I, you know, when I was a young man, I was caught up in my own ideas of what mm-hmm. I thought was important. And as I've got older, um, I'm a better listener, I think, as well. Yeah. That's probably something, actually, I've got in the notes that I'd sort of prepared earlier is about that ability to have respect for other people. Yeah, and, definitely, yeah. And mm. I think there's a, there's a difference between acceptance and tolerance. Um, they, they come from different positions. Like one, you know, I think acceptance comes from the position of love and tolerance still comes mm. from the position of I'm right. Yeah, um, yeah. And you're wrong, but yeah. I'm, I'm going to put up with you anyway. But yeah. we're talking about is that real respect for the other people. Say, look, I, you have a different view to me, but that doesn't make you wrong. No, and it doesn't make yeah. me wrong. It doesn't make me wrong either. So I can respect that you have that point of view. I may not agree with where you're going with it, but I'm not going to devalue it as a human because yeah. of it. Yeah, and so I guess getting back to Kat's question, it's a, it's a thanks, but it's a good help because it's a, this is a good way to answer. It, I suppose is that because I've had this accelerated process of being smacked over and over and over again yeah. with lessons from other people from all sorts of different walks of life, it's been like forced into me, you know, like um, repetitively. There are lots of much more interesting people out there who have got a much, much better, more interesting take than you have on life. You should listen to them. And if perhaps if I had gone about a much more kind of um, quiet life that didn't um where i was in the same environment the whole time that wouldn't have happened and so it was an enormous privilege to see all these people in different circumstances and they all had something to offer and they all there was something to learn from all of that and because it kept you know this kaleidoscope of folks kept like showing and um, demonstrating stuff for me i guess inevitably in, um you, you got something to take away from it yeah 
And I guess like even the, the very first example you gave when you, you met that family in, in Palestine and, and you really had just come in after an attack. Now they could have been very cynical. They could have been very judgmental. Yeah. Yet in amongst all of that, after having everything taken away, they accepted you in. Yeah. And the yeah. Kids, they gave you this big fluffy rabbit. I'm pretty much probably, like you said, probably the only toy that they had or probably their most valued, valued toy. Yeah. Um, and the level of generosity and compassion that goes with that and acceptance of bringing people in and just seeing you as another human as opposed to... Yeah, exactly. So I, I, was, I was incredibly moved by that and made an enormous impression on me through all the reasons that you've said is that they had this direct connection to just another human being, you know, and they, and they were able to transcend all that sort of stuff. And I just thought, here's this bloke who's just turned up out of the middle of nowhere. He could have dropped into Mars and they just welcomed me into their family. And they wanted me to tell their story. You know, they thought that was important. Um, and they, they just accept you totally at face value and they have every right to, you know, be hostile. There's a lot of trust in that too, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, yeah. What's that essence that makes them transcend that? Because someone could have easily went the other way and become very hostile yeah. towards you. Yeah, it's an interesting story. Um, interesting idea. A, a guy, a really good friend of mine who, has, who I've worked with a number of times in um, the Palestinian territories, um, he's, he's what they call a fixer. He's like a local producer. And so he um, looks after you when you're there and he, he finds people for you and he drives you around everywhere. Um, an amazing guy. And he you know, essentially kept me alive a number of times. Um, very sad story. His um, family were, um, most of his extended family were killed in, um, yeah. in a missile attack. Yeah. Uh, and that radicalised him and kind of, and I heard him say things that, you know, I'd never heard before. And so I think it just pushed him over the edge. So yeah. I think everyone's got their limit. Yeah. Uh, and his was breached. Um, so, you know, there's certain things that people just can't forgive and they, they can't come back from. Um, so. Um, what do you think that is, uh, though? You can draw that line and it makes one go left and one go right. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that my Some environment, my, my limit is similar to Ray's, these guys is that I think if something happened to my family, I think I'd be very yeah. forgiving. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, his family is very important to him. Focus then. Yeah. Especially when you're talking about your children yeah. and. Yeah. yeah. I find it very difficult now, actually. One of the things that it was really, um, uh, I'm not that squeamish, but I, I find it, um, Whenever I see children um, in distress, um, yeah. I find that very hard to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, like, it, uh, occasionally I've been at the ABC and there's been some footage of, you know, and I, of kids and I just can't, I can't watch it. I've, I've had to do some really horrible things like scoop some kids out of, you know, pieces of kids out of bombings and things like that. And so that, that um, had, a, uh, had a very bad impact. Um, and so, um, you know, that, that's left a few marks. Yeah, that would do. That would do. Now, so what are you working on? So what we normally do on the show here, Tom, we also then let uh, our guests talk about the things that they, their current projects. And I know that yep. you are actually involved with a couple of projects. So are there projects that you'd like to share quickly with us? Because, you know, believe yeah. it or not, our time is nearly up. Um, it's gone so fast. So <laughs> I'd like to, like to yeah, for the audience know the type of projects that you're currently working on, if they can get involved. That's really and, enjoying listening to how do, how do they get involved with those projects? Um, so I'm at the moment I'm working for um, Origin, which is the National Centre for Youth Mental Health. It's National Centre of Excellence in Youth Mental Health in Parkville, um, and it's a kind of complicated organisation. It, it's partly um, a clinical uh, uh, organisation where they treat people who are kind of young people who are pretty pretty unwell, and there's a lot of primary research in, into new ways of treating people, and they're also a policy and um, advocacy organisation where they're trying to overhaul the way mental health is administered and run in Australia. 
and around the world. They're one of three centers actually of kind of excellence around the world. Um, It's a really amazing place. There's academics from all over the world there and we've got um, researchers and, uh, and um, uh, policy makers and things as well. Um, It's uh, led by a guy called Patrick, Magari, who's um, he's a former Australian of the Year. He's got a really interesting character. Beautiful. He's got a lot of leadership right. qualities. Really interesting guy. Um, and so he's my boss, essentially. Um, but I work in this. Uh, I help. Uh, I work in research and translation. So in uh, helping to translate um, sort of new ways of um, treating people into usable that stuff. Clinicians. Yeah. Um, and so I've done it. The, the last couple of gigs I've had have been. I kind of bailed out of journalism. Had had a bit of enough of it. And I've worked mostly in kind of, um, I worked for a scientific project uh, um, to look at um, trying to stop um, mosquito-borne disease. Um, it was a Gates Foundation funded thing. Um, and that was, um, it was great, but it ended up being a lot of travel as well. It was a lot of travel around <laughs> South America, Southeast Asia. And, um, and that was the same kind of thing that was like helping to translate the research into usable stuff for the people implementing it in the field. Um, that was looking at dengue and, and Zika and mm, yeah, yeah. Um, so the last couple of gigs I've had have been working with scientists, um, trying to translate their work into kind of usable stuff. Yeah. Um, which has been really, really rewarding. I, I, when I left journalism, I was actually thinking about going to work for Mass Scientific Care, um, the Doctors Without Borders, and I, I kind of wanted to work for them or the ICRC or that's it's the bit of the Red Cross that does um, works in conflict zones. Yeah. So it's kind of was wanted to do something instead of looking at other people do things, I kind of want to do You get to a stage where you just want to do something constructive yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just want to contribute a bit. And so, and this is, you, great change. Like you are the change. Yeah. It's a really great change. Really nice people I work with now. Like they're really lovely. And um, uh, so it, it, there's a lot of, um, they have a lot of uh, um, volunteer positions there as well, that people want to get involved in and use mental health. They have a lot of, um, sort of peer workers and people that have been involved yeah. in it that have family members or yeah. so. Is there a website that people can go check out if they want to uh, help? Yes, there is. Yeah, it's, it's Origin. So it's O-R-Y-G-E-N, origin.org.au. And you can find out all about it there. And it's a, a reasonably good website. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Thanks so much yeah. for that. And if you want to learn more about Tom, you can also Google Tom. Um, there is some amazing stuff out there about all the things that he has, has done and achieved. Thank you so much, Tom, for coming along the show today. Yeah, it's been amazing listening to you. Um, it's been oh, fantastic. Pleasure, thanks, thanks for asking me. Yeah, thanks for asking me. It's been absolutely fantastic. And hopefully um, when the lockdown finishes, you'll be able to come back down the bay again. Um, oh, I'll be there like a shot. <laughs> when the last lockdown finished, I was there. I think we were there. Um, we left about, Soph and I came down at 4 o'clock on Monday morning. You know, like, <laughs> we, um, we were there very, very quick. <laughs> and it's a great place to come to, just quietly. Um, so that's beautiful. So again, thank you very much. And yeah, um, enjoyed that. it's been a great privilege to have you on the show. Yeah, no worries. Thanks very much. Thanks. You're listening to The Wellness Couch, where science meets ancient wisdom. And we're your host, Brett and Katarina Morrison. We hope you'll join us for another session of The Wellness Couch on Live Radio next Thursday, 3ABR, 87.6 FM. Love and happiness to you all. See you then.